श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाय श्री श्री राजी गोपाल की जाय गौर भक्तवृंद की जाय वैष्णवृंद की जाय गौर प्रेमानंदे गुड इवनिंग एनी क्वेश्चन टुनाइट यस इन दिस डेज इट सीम्स मोर एंड मोर प्रेवेलेंट ऑफ दिस pick and choose kind of approach it seems to spirituality that i take something from here and something from this tradition and this i like and that i like and i would like to hear your reply to such an approach mm. i think that type of approach may err on the side of pluralism hmm? and open mindedness and i don't think that adherence to a particular path hmm, um necessitates that one not have an open mind and have a pluralistic perspective and a appreciation for and ability to even take from draw from other paths that are well to use our term ego effacing and have actual uh currency for uh attaining transcendence or realizing maybe we should say the transcendent nature of the self hmm. and that's quite a sentence but uh <laughs> the idea um being that the picking and choosing that you refer to that uh precludes in the mind of such a person adhering to any particular path <clears throat> really amounts to making up one's own path which is not necessarily a bad thing <clears throat> some people have done it buddha jesus they're pretty extraordinary people <clears throat> and their paths have been around for a long time they have enduring power uh, and so forth so it's possible but it's not probable hmm? that uh, the average person of is of such uh, uh has such capacity hmm? um <clears throat> and those who have uh the founders let's say of the handful i would say of paths that actually have uh even transcendence in mind hmm, as a goal what to speak of um the capacity to attain it there there's a hand, handful of them only hmm? and each of them has their general religious type of um congregation followers and religious orientation and then a mystical uh orientation that the founder was actually steeped in hmm and uh so that uh, and those who are on that path following that mystic in a, if you will with with that in mind 
that's obviously the smaller uh, number for the most part in, in such groups. So, so of these founders of great uh, spiritual traditions, and, and, and we should say it's important to look to them, hmm? even though they're from a long time ago, some of them. The Buddha, you know, a couple thousands of years ago, Jesus a couple thousands of years ago. And we might think, well, you know, it's like time. a lot of time has passed here. We, you know, maybe we should make up a new one. There's a lot more information out there about the world and so forth than what they had at their disposal to come to their conclusions. Now we know something about nuclear, strong and weak forces, gravitational pull and electromagnetic energy. We know, we know about uh, neuroscience. Uh, um, we're psychologically more uh, savvy to deal with the problem of industrialization. Uh, and, and, and issues that maybe, we, just as an aside, that maybe didn't didn't occur as readily in the past, but uh, deal with the craziness of the world. So, given all these things, don't we also need a new, updated spiritual path? And you could make that case, perhaps, as some people do, but you have some competition. Hmm? You have some benchmark already that has been set by the Buddha in his field, by Jesus, by Ramanuja, even by, by, by Shankar, by Sriman Mahaprabhu, and so forth, hmm? by Rumi. and hmm? So that's, again, a tall task. And, and what is the... Is it... And what you want to attain... Well, what could be more than on the base level, effacing the ego, and thus coming out of a very provincial perspective, local, provincial, narrow perspective of the self, hmm? crippled, oppressed by the mind and senses, over overcoming that, hmm? having, uh, as a result, universal compassion, this is just kind of the baseline hmm, that we, we find even, even amongst the, the Gyanis, the Mayavadis, the Buddhas, hmm, who are different from us, and their, their trajectory into transcendence is, is, is different than ours. But this is a baseline, because of course, Vancha Kalpatru Vyascha Kripa Sindhu Vyavacha. We talked about Vasudev Dutt the other day. We have our universally compassionate uh, uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavas, of course, as well. And we think that we have the Tikshiva, Karunika, Sukhrida Sarbadeya. These are the qualities of a sadhu mentioned in Bhagavatam. Tikshiva, Karunika. Karunika means compassionate. So this is kind of the baseline. We want to build on that for rasa, transcendental love, but passing through compassion, and which is symptomatic of uh, transcending the uh, the borderlines that we draw. Hmm? This is love for all, right? Um, uh, seeing beyond the, the, the dress and decor and uh, different cultural perspectives and so forth. 
So, uh, what more is it that you might want to attain by whatever new practice you might come up with? Hmm? Often the more in the new, newer developments is actually less. And uh, uh, we were talking about this on, on the way over, you and I. There's the one side where, let's t- go back to the ego-effacing term once again, right? So when we talk about ego-effacing, we're talking about the ahankar. Same thing in Buddhism. It takes its, has its sankhya perspective of the world. So there's subtle matter, psychic matter. Ahankar is a feature, an aspect of the subtle matter that that causes uh, differentiation, individual individuality. Hmm? It's a feature that that causes that that functions in such a way as to is to bring about, in a basic general sense, individuality amongst the jivas who are coming from a homogeneous state within susupti, in our perspective, within Mahavishnu. Hmm? Their karma being suppressed. So they're coming out from there. Hmm? The hunkara functions to individual, and then, and then they're surrounded by their karma, and, and, and that becomes the details then of their individuality. So when we want to efface the ego, hmm, we have to have practices that address the subtle uh, body. The chitta is, has all these sangskars, impressions stored in it, like the subconscious that are driving us. Hmm? So how are you going to ch- cleanse the chitta, which is like a mirror, as Ma- in Mahaprabhu's example. So if you take the mirror and you face it on the world, it's going to have an image on it. Hmm? And then you're going to function according to that image. But if you cleanse that mirror and turn it on inward, you're going to see yourself as different from everything out there. Hmm? And this is this is the beginning of what occurs from the transrational method, for example, in our school, of kirtan, chitta, darpana, marjanam, cleansing the mirror of the of the mind, or the chitta. Hmm? Right? So, how are you going to do that? There's no way to do that, to cleanse the chitta, other than serious sadhana, which, which, which I refer to as transrational practices coming from mystics, coming from the sacred text, would be at meditation, mystic yoga, uh, and so forth. These are all like, almost like kind of moving in a different, in, a, in the opposite direction, according to from how we have been moving, which has brought about the, the problem. Hmm? Moving away from those impressions, hmm? cleansing the mind, in our case, putting on new impressions, bhakti impressions. So, the, the point being that, 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 Sadhana only, uh, that has a currency, hmm, real sadhana, hmm, has the power to deal with this. That is what ego-facing is really about. And at the same time, there is this metaphysical hunkar, as I sometimes say, there is the psychological ego. In other words, we've just talked about what the unhunkar does in a general way, and then we as an individual in this world... We have a certain personality and so forth, and we have an ego, and I refer to that as the psychological ego. So, we say 
that you need to engage to face the ego in transrational practices like kirtan, dhyan, meditation, so forth. Hmm? And it's a daunting task. There's no doubt about it. It's a daunting task. So we have to start with good association and know that it's that it's gradual. And in the context of doing that, we also want to cultivate a healthy psychological ego because a healthy psychological ego is going to be helpful in terms of uh, taking up the task, just like a healthy body is going to be helpful. Hmm? So we teach that you're not the body, hmm? you're not the flesh and blood, hmm? but we, we, we teach to take care of your body too, right? Hmm? So take care of your mind. But I want to go the other direction. So there's, there's an error there, right? Hmm? Where we um, misidentify the psychological ego with the metaphysical ego. And then some teachers abuse the psychological ego and their students and uh, humiliate them. I said this the other night, I think, publicly or privately, all types of abuse in the name of smashing your ego. Hmm? And this one fellow used to bring other people's students, men's wives, and only the pretty ones, and then abuse them in front of him, in front of the, the, the husband. He did, for, for somebody didn't didn't do it with the homely ones for some reason. Hmm? And uh, and this was to, you're attached, right? Well, give up your attachment. You're attached to your wife. I will take her now, for the moment. Hmm? And this is supposed to destroy, I mean, this destroy their psychological ego. Horrible thing to do. Horrible abuse, right? Hmm? Only thing this that this does is damage the psychological ego of the student and and nourish the narcissism of the so-called teacher and give such teachings overall a bad name in the world for good reason. I mean, abuse is uh, it, it's 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 rampant, unfortunately. But now that said, the point I'm making tonight is that what we were discussing on the way over, the other side is also something to consider which is what? That while we misidentify the psychological ego, in a sense, and equate it with the metaphysical ego, hmm, hmm, in, in the way in which I'm speaking, we can do it the other way. and We can identify the psychological ego with the whole of the metaphysical problem, if you will, and then think that just by getting a healthy psychology, we become we've become spiritual. Hmm? So you need the transrational practice, and you need as much as we can cultivate a healthy psychology, hmm? right? Hmm? But if but if you don't have the transrational practice, but you just have a healthy psychology, and that becomes the entirety of your spirituality, and you misconstrue that massaging the psychological ego and making it balanced and and making you comfortable within your skin is not the same as getting out of it. Hmm. Right? Hmm. So there's there can be an error on both sides. So uh, uh, often in our times, in the name of creating a path for now, for us about spirituality, we redefine what spirituality is compared to how the Buddha is defining it in a basic sense, or Mahaprabhu is defining it in a, in a basic sense, or, or Shankar, being ego-effacing, and, and so forth. 
and um, and so we remain. We we don't attain transcendence. Hmm? Hmm. So these persons, the founders of these traditions, have set an extraordinary uh, example hmm? and like a benchmark for spirituality. Just to have a healthy psychology um, is uh, is far different than uh, attaining Buddhahood. That's just such a far reach in, in, in comparison. So, what's to update? Hmm? Hmm? In one sense. Uh, the problem hasn't changed. Uh, uh, there may be things that culturally that we might do differently in different times and so forth, but I think the goal is the same. So, so as far as picking from different paths here and there and so forth. Well, it, 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 one of the things that should be done, if you're, even if you're going to do that, is which paths to pick from. Hmm? Are they actually ego-effacing? Do they have that kind of currency to bring us uh, above the dualities of material existence? Hmm? Um, when you narrow it down to that, if you, if you can do that by, by good explanation, philosophy, and so forth, well, there, there aren't that that many to choose from. Hmm? Because sometimes the th- thought is, well, I'll just pick and choose, and there's a lot to choose from, and I'll just keep looking around, and 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 if so, if one's not, I would say, well enough I- I- informed, that can be a, that can be a problem. Hmm? What you choose, if you will. Hmm? So we should narrow the choosing down. That said, um, the founders of these great uh, traditions, they have not recommended that. Hmm? They have given all their energy to one path hmm, and gotten the desired uh, result. Hmm. And so, example speaks louder than precept. Hmm. So there's good reason to pick one that resonates with you, hmm, which is really going to be, for the most part, based on what kind of sadhus you get you associate with. If you associate with jnanis, if you associate with even Buddhists, yogis, you're going to get, and they actually have some standing in those practices, you're going to get impressions. You're going to get uh, some scars for, for for such traditions and so forth. Hmm? And then they're going to feel feel right for you hmm? going forward. Hmm? Your psychology is going to work with the with their their effort to articulate. What transcendence is about, the arguments that they use, and the, and the way they describe and talk about transcendence and so forth, which is variegated. So there's different ways to talk about it within a basic unity and agreement that it's ego-effacing and so forth. So, um, so I, I I think that that there's problems with that um, I, that approach, and as I said at the at the, at the start, there's what you may really want to do from that, in the name of that, is not to miss out on anything, right? But you don't have to. So if you really steep yourself in a particular path, you are going to appreciate other paths, and those who have um, uh, invested themselves in the, in the path enough to be an example of, uh, uh, of a sadhu or, or a saint in that tradition. 
when I travel, sometimes going to the airport, I see like a, a nun or some guy in some getup, you know, from like Russian Orthodox or something like that, or some other kind of monk or whatnot. I immediately I want to I want to talk. To, I want to like, can we talk? You know, I don't I don't I want to sit with them. I just want to hear, you know, what they're about. You know, I know what they're about. I know they've dedicated themselves to the, their particular path. I'm very much. Yeah, um, I used to live in, in San Francisco. We had a center in San Francisco at one time years ago. And then at Christmas, I would go to, you know, Christmas Eve. This was, was a big day. Or Easter, I'd go to a Catholic church. And I've been to church here at the, uh, where is it called? The Las Juntas here on the day of, what was that day? Of the Lady. No, it was a Mary something day or some famous day. Yeah, about Mary. So anyway, and, and so I, I like that. Um, you know, so it only, like Bhaktivinoda Thakur has, has said, when I go into a different uh, church or mosque, I see, oh, they're worshiping my Lord here in this way. Interesting. He's got this face also. He accepts worship in this way. Oh, I love it in Europe when you in you know in Europe when you go into those old churches, especially those old Orthodox ones. They've got these pictures of these heavy people, heavy religious, you know, saintly people. Really, you know, they got some far out get up and they got a little aura painted around them. You know, and it's very inspiring. <laughs> uh, so uh, and then. You know, to to you, you, one is not prohibited being on one's own path from hearing about other traditions, finding common ground, and so on and so forth. Um, um, and so, the fear, if you will, of missing out or just getting part of it, and so forth, I think is is un, unwarranted. Hmm? And best to uh, choose a path, which will be the path that's you know that comes to you with the most spiritual power and force, if you will. Uh, it's possible that after that you could also you could get that kind of impression for Buddhism and hear from Gaudiya Vaishnavism change or something like that. That that's also possible, with all regard to the Buddha. Um, it happens the other way around too. Hmm? Didn't get strong enough impressions from Gaudiya Vaishnavism to, to ground one and so forth, or misunderstood the path or the or the application and so on. Hmm. Uh, but for me, you know, I'm not here to convert Buddhists or Shankars or you know. I'm here to be a Gaudiya Vaishnava. If anybody wants to join with us, that's great. <laughs> if they don't, well, we we wish wish them well and. We might, there might be something interesting about their journey that we can also uh, hear about and, and learn from. So I think the proper um, approach to a particular path hmm, kind of includes this, is, is inclusive, especially in the Eastern traditions. Now, you know, I'm speaking from our tradition, and I'm speaking from the point of view of a, you know, Bhaktivinoda Saragrahi perspective, perennialist, theistic perennialist kind of perspective. 
but I think you'll find that amongst any any real 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 real, real sadhus. That said, I mean, it, it is true that the Western Abrahamic traditions, whether it be uh, Islam or Sufism or, let's um, uh, say, esoteric Christianity or um, mystical mystical Judaism, Kabbalah, and so forth, that it would appear, at least on the surface, they appear to be more exclusive rather than inclusive, whereas the West Eastern traditions tend to be more inclusive. And Hinduism is, 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 seems to be the most inclusive type of tradition. It's got very diverse traditions within it hmm, as well. I mean, it's got the whole, it's got the karma mark, it's got the gyan mark, it's got yoga. It's really got, in my opinion, Buddhism never really got out of it, you know, entirely. But um, as I say, Buddha was a Hindu, so. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it tends to be more uh, more inclusive. So you, you might more readily hear that from this side, but I think if someone's deeply invested in even the Abrahamic traditions, they'll have that kind of interfaith-ish type of uh, um, perspective and appreciation. It's quite shocking to me to see at times the lack of that on the part of Gaudiya Vaishnavas, how immature they are, how little they understand. I had posted uh, on Christmas, just I made a statement, blessed is the, what did I say, blessed is the Prince of Peace. Sometimes Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace. And, you know, it was well appreciated by lots of devotees, but there were, there were some on there that just took exception. You know, we're not Christians, you know. And I bring out some quote, you know, over here where Prabhupada's, you know, making, you know, little of Christianity, whereas, you know, and ignoring the other quotes where he's not, where he's appreciated something he said, you know, I'm not sure about this, you know. You know. It seems like a Mr. Gyogi, I think he said at one point, you know. See, he's just a Mr. Gyogi, and they're bad, you know. Okay. I mean, there, there was a few people like that. One lady put up a thing. It's, uh, it said, uh, um, he said, uh, give up all all of the religions, follow me alone. And he meant, he meant it. And he meant it. I said, Merry Christmas. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, something like, you know, I did, did I did reply. Uh, whoa. Okay, you, you really understood that verse well, right? Yeah, you, really, you really got that one, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, it, 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 I mean, it, you see it in other traditions. You see, you know, the fundamentalist orientation to different traditions, fundamentalist Islam, and, and, and it reaches to this jihadist kind of perspective, and then the fundamentalist Christians objecting to that, ready to cut their throats, Right? Wipe them off the face of the earth, you know. Bomb them out, you know, because they're terrorists. Okay, <laughs> right. Just, just exactly what you know, Jesus would have said, right? <laughs> so you, you know, you, 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 you see that, and and and, um, and you know, he, he is the way, the truth, the life, and only through him, no one else can come to the Father. You know, that kind of exclusive perspective. Um, but it's very shocking to see it, for me, within Gaudiya Vaishnavism. The difference in one sense, in, 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 in my perspective, is that 
Gaudi Vaishnavism has kind of a bigger, it tends to paint a bigger picture. Um, so there's like more information. There's different rasas, the different levels of transcendence, uh, uh, opportunities within transcendence. There's some explanation of the objective world that you're not going to find in the Bible. Hmm? And, and so there's this bigger body of philosophy and information to get involved in that can make you think you're in a bigger, broader perspective than the fundamentalist Christian. But you can be just as much of a fundamentalist within that broader uh, uh, picture. And it's very um, unbecoming. It's very shocking for me. Painful to see it. Uh, so, some thoughts. Does that help? Thank you. Yes. All paths kajai. Jai. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yes. What else? Yes. You mentioned the other night how Thomas Merton get, got acquainted with Eastern traditions in order to learn more about spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. So I would like to ask um, um, how about if we find some aspects in other traditions inspiring what would be a good and balanced way to integrate it within our practice or things that we are reading or like for example I personally um, in Christianity they emphasize a lot praying for others and I find that really beautiful that as a really beautiful practice even though it's not so much emphasized in our tradition so that yeah, I think we'd have to look at the particular practice, but that is a practice that is uh, emphasized, um, and you can you can find monastics spending you know long hours a day praying for the poor and the people of the world and and so forth. Of course, we have vandanam as a which is a, one of the angas of bhakti, principal angas of bhakti prayer. I've talked about it different times, but it it, it it's typically different as you say, then that kind of prayer, praying for the suffering of others and their, their deliverance and so forth. It's more of a glorification of Bhagavan, uh, a statement of one's own position, and, and then uh, making one's prayer for whatever, to please him in some way, to um, overcome manarthas, to develop a taste, to please my guru, give me the power, that, that kind of a thing, right? They're very nice prayers in the Bhagavatam by different devotees that that have power and and so on. Um, so you're right. Typically, we don't do that, but we do have examples of devotees. And I cited the example of Vasudev Dutt the other day, hmm, who was uh, praying for the deliverance of the whole world and petitioning uh, Bhagawan in his prayers to give him the karma. Of everybody, everyone in the universe, that they might be liberated. So an extraordinarily compassionate heart he exhibited, and when Mahaprabhu heard this, he was very pleased with that. So it does have its place. I think that the uh, the difference there, and how you might you know adjust that, if you wanted to incorporate a practice like that into Gaudiya Vaishnavism. The, the, the difference is he's praying for their mukti, for their liberation, for their eternal, you know, deliverance, rather than what might be, in some cases, a prayerful preoccupation with feeding the poor, 
Mm-hmm. Curing the let's have a let's have a weekend prayer for curing the people with with AIDS, you know, or something like that. That type of uh, petition, um, which would be like, you know, the kind of the band-aid solution to you know to a problem that uh, requires more than a more than a band-aid. So I think you could integrate that practice, and and but but by way of praying for the the mukti of everyone, the liberation of everyone, the freedom from samsara, hmm? freedom from birth and death, and that would be a way of adapting it to to our tradition. Does that help? Yeah, something like that. So, and there may be other practices. That's, but I would, I kind of would have to hear about each, you know, individual ones and 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 think about them. Mm-hmm. Merton was uh, looking for like techniques for for really for meditation, for looking inward and so forth. And and yeah, the East is full of that kind of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. So. What else? Yes. So, uh, listening to you speak about philosophy, and so you always mention about how there's kind of three paths. There's the karma, gyan, karma, gyan, and bhakti. Karma and gyan are either pursuing the world or going away from the world, and bhakti is something different. Mm-hmm. But um, reading the Gita, there's like a lot of other paths mentioned, like Ashtanga Yoga, and I'm just curious about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when we say um, bhakti, karma, gyan, hmm, yoga fits in with gyan. Yoga f- fits in with karma. Hmm. So there's, there's, there's two ends to it, for example, in the Gita. So you have karma yoga, which is the pursuit of gyan. Hmm. In other words, Knowledge is that understanding that in the pursuit of enduring happiness, chasing after things that don't endure is is, is not a recipe for success, (coughs) right? Given the temporal nature of things of the world, hmm, we shouldn't be chasing after them or the fruits of Work trying to increase our happiness, trying to avoid distress, and so forth, which is basically the realm of karma, right? Hmm. Now, there's a way to function within the realm of karma in a Varnashram society, so that you kind of have that you can elevate yourself materially, uh, and, and so on. But it's not a transcendental path unto itself, right? So, if if you now want to move towards from karma to gyan, then there's karma yoga. Nishkam Karma Yoga. So, in that system, you do all the... If you're a Vaisha, if you're a householder, um, whatever may be the case, right? Then you follow the scriptural injunctions for that Varna, that Ashram. hmm? And you uh, do it because it's scripturally ordained. Because God has ordained this for the kind of condition that I'm in, hmm, given my physio-psychological makeup based on the modes. Hmm. So this is a system from the, from the scriptures. I do it because it, it's, it's suitable hmm, for my condition. Hmm. And 
I don't do it for the attainment of the fruits of that. So I'm not doing it to go to heaven. Some people are motivated to do it and the driving force to perform the karmic duties, if you will, is the result I'm going to get from it, the carrot at the end. So I'm not interested in the carrot because I see that that's, that's, that's not a solution. But I can't just go and sit and meditate or be a jnani, a contemplative. That's my reality. So I function dutifully with regard to my karmic or dharmic uh, enjoined, scripturally enjoined um, actions. And I just do it because it should be done. Not for the fruits. Not for the fruits. When your goal is not the fruits, then you're not going to be going up and going down. Oh, I got the fruits. Oh, I lost the fruits. I got the fruits. They didn't taste good. Oh, you know, it's hankering for, lamenting, hankering for it, lamenting that I've <coughs> lost it, tossing and turning. You come to some state of equilibrium, balance, sama. Hmm? And you, 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 you are tossing and turning on the ocean of material emotions. Now you're kind of like the waves have subsided. Hmm? There's some hope. I might even be able to, because the ocean's now flat for me, I might even be able to see the land. Hmm? So there's hope for a permanent solution. So this is karma yoga. But what is the goal of karma yoga here is to come to knowledge. By that karmic yoga, yoga here meaning, meaning controlling the uh, limit, uh, harnessing the mind, harnessing the senses hmm, through through adherence to the prescribed duties. Hmm. Wisdom comes, hmm. insight comes hmm, about the nature of the self gradually, hmm. and as the Gita progresses from the third chapter, karma yoga. And you come into Gyan Yoga. Hmm? You're coming into contemplative life now. Hmm? But Krishna's very strongly kind of emphasizing the Karma Yoga because it's not so easy to, to, to give up action hmm? and just be a contemplative. But but from, from there he goes to, to Dhyan, actual practice of meditation and so forth. Now he's talking about Astanga Yoga in the sixth chapter, right? There's Sannyasa Yoga and Karma Yoga or Dhyana Yoga. It's really Astanga Yoga in the sixth chapter. So where does that Astanga Yoga fit in with the Gyan and the Karma? So here what we find is Yoga is going from Karma to Gyan and then Yoga is also kind of included and its techniques are briefly kind of there's a brief overview of that as a as a as a methodology hmm? for Gyan. Hmm? Its goal is is is, is Gyan. So you, you, you yoga is kind of included within Gyan. Hmm? And that that's 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 the goal. Um, you we we could slightly differentiate it as we sometimes do and say. The goal of Gyan is Nirvishesh Brahma. The goal of Yoga is Paramatma. Hmm? 
and there's some some truth to that. But basically, jnana and yoga are the, are kind of classified together in that they're both transcendental in their objective, hmm? in their pursuit. Karma is not right. We could also include bhakti there. Bhakti, jnana, yoga—they're all about transcendence, hmm? and they're all like offering different measures of penetration into transcendence. So they they have much in common, even as they're also uh, different disciplines, different paths. Does that help? Hmm. Yeah. So sometimes we should, to simplify, we say jnana, karma, bhakti. We can throw yoga in there too. Hmm. It's a it's a specific astanga is a specific discipline. Hmm. You have your karmis, you have your naked sannyasis. You know they're not doing astanga yoga. Hmm. I don't know what they do, but they they. Uh, <laughs> what else? Yes. It's a high one. Sorry? That's a high verse of Mahaprabhu. Yeah, so consequently I was wondering if it's too high contemplation to think about. And he mentioned that uh, the feeling of separation turns from poison into frame. Uh, and the, the feeling of longing, I, I guess I was trying to touch him on like how can how can that be possible that that it turns from poison to longing or so far away? How can that be felt as a, how as a positive? How can that be felt as a positive? Yeah, I suppose transcendentally um, desirable. Have you ever touched dry ice? very cold. Do you know what dry ice is? It's very, very cold. What happens if you touch it? It burns you. Right? Now how could something cold burn you? That's the question. Right? So how can separation be blissful? That's your answer. Dry ice. is an example to help us appreciate the point. <laughs> the point is that also that Krishna, uh, if you, uh, however you're invested in Krishna, hmm, absorbed in Krishna, then uh, there's uh, that, that's going to be blissful experience, longing for him, hmm, longing not to lose him, even in his presence, gaining his presence in union. In the context of the Leela, sometimes the devotees are with Krishna, sometimes they're not. So it's like the high and the low tide of the ocean. They're both wet. Hmm? You can swim in both. It's just slightly different experiences. Hmm. Look at it the other way. Hmm. In material life, if we invest ourselves in something material, whatever, an object, person, whatever may be the case, thought, um, we may get pleasure from it, right? But if we keep looking at that, we'll see it turns into distress because attachment turns into distress. It's the womb from which suffering is born. 
So even that which looks pleasurable in this world is actually suffering. And even that which looks unpleasurable in Krishna Leela, separation, is pleasurable. It's just the opposite of this world. So you have experience in this world. If you look carefully at it, you say... Um, What's that saying? I thought it was a bowl of cherries, but it was just the pits. What's that saying? Characterizes material life. Something like that. It may look good on the outside, but if you look carefully within, ooh. Spiritual life may look foreboding and... Um, Disconcerting on the outside. This is the very Adbhuta Charit, the wonderful character of Prem. On the outside, it looks like it burns like, like poison. But on the inside, it is full of Ananda. And on the outside, material life looks like there's a great prospect for enjoying, but it's just a perpetuation of suffering. In rounds of birth and death, rounds and birth of death, and practically it's the case with regard to spiritual life. Let's say, for example, you're just an ordinary person uh, with material objectives and looking for a partner and trying to earn more money and this and that, and then you meet a devotee hmm, dressed like you, and you say, "What's the, what are you guys about?" You know, you start telling him, and he starts asking you, and he says, "You don't eat meat. What do you eat?" These days, that might not be asked as much because vegetarianism is becoming more popular. But it used to be like, well, "What do you guys eat?" You know. And then he, and then, and and he said, "Well, well, well you got a girlfriend?" It's actually I'm cel- celibate. Whoa. Looks pretty bad to me. The whole thing looks pretty bad. What happened to your hair, by the way? Yeah. What's that stuff on your face? You know, and your nose. Do you have to dress like that, too? You know. You could say no, but. Sometimes we do. Well, sometimes it's too many times for me. <laughs> so, you know, he starts asking, do you watch television? You say, not really. You don't watch television. What do you guys do there? You know, <laughs> just meditate or something? You know, that, that's a so it looks disconcerting on the outside. Even the life of a sadhaka can look disconcerting hmm, to someone. Um, and what's speak of the life of a siddha, like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, weeping, Weeping, passing out, fainting, even in Rathayatra, uh, perspiring blood, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his joints becoming dislocated, his, his teeth coming out. I mean, he, 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 he looked very... Um, that's what you want to become like. So, you know, you have to look underneath, right? Underneath, it's full of ananda, actually. Does that help? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. What's the time? Okay. Let's stop there. Shishidaji Gopal ki jai. Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai. Guru Bhakti Vindaki jai. Good Premanandi.